please open up this morning to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 in just a moment. You might be thinking, Garrett, you got the book wrong. It's Luke chapter 2. Nope, it's right. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, looking at a passage that uh, we looked at slightly last year, but we're going to be looking at it in a different light this year. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if you were here with us last night for the Christmas Eve service, we read through the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2. We looked at how Jesus was given to save us from our sin. So this morning, we're going to continue from Matthew 1 into Matthew chapter 2 to tie together everything we've been looking at over the last three weeks. Everything we've been looking at has been very intentional, and we'll see why this morning. So I want to tie together everything from the past three weeks together with the birth of Jesus in order to get a better glimpse of what it looks like that we are saved from our sin. And as an important reminder, before we read this morning, the past three weeks we've looked at the three offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. So now, if you will please join me in the reading of God's word, let's stand together as I read from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go down through verse 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for taking on flesh and being born in our likeness that you might die for us. Holy Spirit, give us understanding and meaning and insight into your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So this morning I want to focus here on verse 11. There's a lot of things we can focus on in this passage. There's a lot of liberties that we take in understanding and portraying the visit of the wise men, exactly how old Jesus was, how many wise men there were, etc. We're not going to go into all those details this morning. I want you to look at verse 11. It says, Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts 
gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. In this single verse, we see that the promised child is different. You don't fall down and worship a person. That's not how that works. Some people fall down and worship a king. It shouldn't work that way either. There is only one who is worthy of worship, and that is God. And so they come and they see baby Jesus, and they give these gifts to him. And I want to look at the meaning of these gifts, because Matthew's gospel, interestingly, is the only one that mentions these gifts, these, this visit and the giving of these gifts. And he doesn't really elaborate on them too much. But that doesn't mean they aren't important. If they weren't important, we wouldn't have them. The ancient culture that lived during these times would have understood these gifts better than we do. We typically just know them by name. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the Hebrew people especially would have understood what these gifts are very well. And I want to look at each gift this morning to try to show you why these are significant. So first, we're going to look at gold. Gold is the one gift we're probably the most familiar with. Most of us probably either own something small that's gold. Maybe it's a ring uh, from a wedding. Maybe it's something small. We know what gold is. We probably don't have a ton of it. And it's simple why. It's rare and it's beautiful. Therefore, it's very expensive. It's hard to come across. It's not easy to acquire. We can acquire fake gold really easily, but real gold is rare, beautiful, and expensive. Therefore, only wealthy people have this type of thing in large quantities. The types of people to have a large quantity of gold were likely royalty or close to it. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1-12, through 12, the queen of Sheba is visiting King Solomon. She's heard of his wisdom, so she travels and brings these gifts from far away, and she says, I want to hear the words myself. And when she sees Solomon, she says, the stories that I heard aren't even half of the truth of your wisdom. And she gives this gift to Solomon. Listen to verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 10. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. So she gives this gift to Solomon because he is king. She says, the Lord has made you king, so I want to give you this huge gift of gold. A talent is about 75 pounds. She gave 120 of these talents. If you do the math, that's over four tons of gold. Who would give that kind of gift? Someone who's royalty. What, who would they give that type of gift to? Someone else who's royalty. A king. Why did she bring Solomon's gift? Because he is a king. Gold is for kings. What about frankincense? Frankincense was also costly. The way that frankincense is harvested, there's a certain type of tree that you scrap the bark of this tree. You basically damage the tree. And it causes this resin to come out that solidifies into these little beads. You harvest the beads, and then you're able to burn them, and it gives off this aroma that smells like the tree. So the process of acquiring this gift made it costly as well. 
But how was it used by Israel? If you look at Exodus chapter 30, and this is a passage I will ask you to turn to, because we're going to come back to this passage in a little bit. Exodus chapter 30. And I'm going to read verses 34 through 38 for us. But even after I'm done reading, um, stay in this passage. Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to read verses 34 through 38. Listen to the instructions that the Lord is giving to Moses, talking about how worship ought to be done in the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti and onica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there should be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So here we see frankincense used in the worship of God to create a pleasing aroma that was reserved for God alone. And it was mixed with some of these other spices and perfumes. But in other places in Leviticus, there are instances where pure frankincense is used as an offering to the Lord to be placed upon an offering. These are things that priests would have been very familiar with as they used it to worship the Lord. So gold is for kings. Frankincense is for priests. I hope you see where I'm going with this this morning. Let's look at the last one, myrrh. Myrrh is a little like frankincense in how it's harvested. It's harvested from a different tree, but it's the same process. You scrape this tree, this resin comes out, it hardens, you collect it. Song of Solomon in chapter 4, verse 14, mentions both frankincense and myrrh as coming from certain types of trees. So there were a lot of things that were harvested this way. They had the same aromatic use, but myrrh had another significant use. It was used in the embalming and anointing of the dead. We saw this when we read through John's Gospel. John chapter 19, verse 39. Nicodemus brings a mixture of myrrh and other aloes to use in Jesus' burial. So for this reason, myrrh was sometimes viewed as a symbol for mortality, sorrow, and tribulation. It's a reminder that we die. It's a symbol for that. What I want to propose to you this morning is that myrrh is representative of the prophets of old. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 11, 47-48. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. The prophets were notable for their deaths. They all bore messages of God, and they all died for it. It was an expectation. Oh, he was a prophet. He was probably killed for his message, because Israel wasn't receptive. And it's for this reason that Jesus, in Matthew 21, 33-46, he gives a parable where the king's servants, there's a king, and he has these servants that he sends to one of his lands. 
There's a vineyard here, and he has these tenants who are keeping the vineyard. He says, servants, go and collect fruit from the vineyard. Well, the servants arrive at the vineyard, and they say, hey, we're here to collect the fruit, and the tenants kill the servants to keep the fruit for themselves. And so they do this over and over and over. So then in the parable, Jesus says, the king finally says, I'll tell you what, I'll send my son to collect the fruit. Surely they won't touch my son. And in this parable, the son goes, the tenants see the son, and they say, look, here's the heir. Let's kill him as well. And they kill him. So Jesus is giving this parable to talk about the Pharisees, but also to talk about all those prophets who had gone time and time again. There were these servants that kept going and kept going, and Israel kept killing them and killing them because they didn't like their message. Jesus knew he would die just like these prophets of old. And this is where the use of myrrh comes in. Gold is for kings, frankincense is for priests, and myrrh is for the prophets who were killed. This is what we've been building up to the past three weeks. Jesus, the promised Messiah, would be a prophet like Moses, a priest like Melchizedek, and a king like David. And he received these gifts, myrrh, frankincense, and gold. The gifts of the wise men are confirming that Jesus is the coming prophet, priest, and king that Israel had been waiting for. When they see Jesus, they know and they recognize this is the Messiah. That's why they fell down to worship him and to give him these gifts. However, to tie all this together, I think there's a double meaning in these gifts. Because each of these gifts come together in a chapter of scripture in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 30. All three of these gifts are mentioned. If you look, we're not going to read these verses now, but if you look at verses 1 through 10, you'll see the instructions for how the altar of incense is to be made. Specifically, if you look um, up in verse 3, you shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. Verse 4, you shall make these golden rings. So we're not going to keep going. Verse 5, you see it again. We're not going to keep going, but there's gold in all the construction elements of this tabernacle and the things inside of it. They are to be overlaid with pure gold. Well, then if you go further down in Exodus chapter 30, I want you to look at verses 22 through 33. Listen to what it says, talking about the anointing oil and incense. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hymn of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin in its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the holy on the body of an ordinary person, 
and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. So we see there the use of myrrh. We read earlier of the use of frankincense in verses 34 through 38. So we have this gold altar of incense that is going to receive this mixture of myrrh and is going to be involved with the offering up of this incense made of frankincense. All three of these gifts were used to anoint the priest so that he might offer up sacrifice to God, a pleasing aroma of worship to him. That's how all of these gifts come together. The purpose of the anointing oil was that the priest and all the utensils might be pure and holy. So in the same way, Jesus' gift reminds us of the holy anointing of the temple sacrifices. Jesus was to be a holy offering made to the Lord, a pleasing aroma to God. And when we see the gifts that the wise men brought, this is intended to be a reminder of these sacrificial offerings. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh aren't just expensive gifts, though they are very expensive. That allude to the offices of Christ, they communicate to us that this child would be a fragrant offering to God on our behalf. That's the gift that we celebrate this morning. The baby in and of itself is wonderful. What gives us hope is what he would one day do, and that is that he would die for our sin. So that's what we celebrate this morning, but we ought to do more than just celebrate. The call to us this morning is to join God in this anointed offering. You see, Jesus was already holy. Nothing he did made himself more holy. It's not like his holiness was under threat where, well, I need this special anointing so that I might maintain my holiness. He was holy, he is holy, and he will be holy forevermore just by his very nature. The reason Jesus came was to make us holy as he is holy. His fragrant offering was not intended to be an end in itself. Rather, it is a means to a greater end. Jesus' fragrant offering is intended to turn us into fragrant offerings to God. That's part of the gift. If you would, please flip over to the book of Ephesians. This will be our last passage that you flip to this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. It used to be, uh, if you asked me what my favorite verse in Scripture was, this would be it. I don't think it's there anymore, but it still holds a special place in my heart. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, one of the first verses that I um, decided on my own to commit to memory. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we are called, in light of Jesus' fragrant offering of sacrifice, to imitate God. How is it that we do that? 
By loving as Jesus loved. Well, how is it that we do that? Through sacrifice. That is the fragrant offering that pleases the Lord. Just like we burn in our house, Stacy got some candles. And so just like we burn candles and we have this pleasing aroma, we think, man, that is satisfying. For us to love others sacrificially is an aroma to the Lord where he says, that is satisfying to me. Because it mirrors what his son has done for us. He's loved us sacrificially. So we love others sacrificially. Jesus was anointed so that we might live anointed lives of love through self-sacrifice. In a sense, part of Jesus' gift to us is that we might turn into gifts to those around us. Jesus didn't give his life for us so that we might use our lives on ourselves. He gave himself for us so that we might give ourselves for him and for others. Isn't that supposed to be one of the major themes of Christmas, even among those who aren't Christians? It's a season of giving. That is what we are to do. We are to give of ourselves. It's significant that in Exodus 30, the anointing oil made from the myrrh and the incense made from the frankincense are both described by saying, don't use this in an ordinary way. You are not to use this on yourself. You're not to use this among your people. This is only to be used in the worship of God. These things were holy, and their uses were to be for holy uses only. If Jesus' only role in your life is making your life better or keeping you out of hell or making you feel good about yourself, you are taking the holy things of God and using them in an ordinary, unworthy, unholy way. It's as if you're taking the holy anointing oil and using it on yourself for everyday use, that you can smell better. Or taking the holy incense and using it on yourself as a personal perfume for your own personal pleasure. We were not saved to live ordinary lives. We were saved in order to live anointed lives. Set apart by God for use for God. The true test of your gratefulness for Jesus this Christmas isn't whether or not you came to church this morning or this week or how happy you feel today when you're with your family. The true test of your gratefulness for Jesus Christ this Christmas is what you're going to do with your life for the other 51 weeks of the year. That will show your gratefulness for Jesus. Jesus isn't just a regular offering. He's a holy offering given to make us holy so that we might imitate him in love. So may you celebrate the gift of our prophet, priest, and king by living a life of sacrificial love, a fragrant offering, as he has sacrificially loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given yourself for us as a fragrant offering, holy and pleasing to God. We hear and we accept in faith your call to us to imitate you and to walk in love, giving ourselves sacrificially for others because that is how you have loved us. 
Forgive us for taking advantage of the freedom that we have in you to pursue our own personal desires. We thank you for the gift you've given us, and we know that you want us to use this gift, not for ourselves, but as a way to give to others the love that you have given to us. Stir our hearts to be giving of ourselves today, the rest of this year, and next year, because we are grateful for the gift that you have given us in your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the time of our service where we respond in two different ways. First, we respond in prayer, and then we respond in song. If you have a prayer need this morning that you would like others to be praying with you about, you don't have to say what it is. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at. And what that indicates to everyone else is, I need someone to pray with me this morning. And someone will come around beside you or behind you, lay a hand on you, and be praying with you silently. So is there anybody that would like to request prayer this morning? If so, you can simply just stand where you're at. Okay. I will close this in prayer. We'll sing a song, and then I have one more comment before we leave. Dear Lord, would you grant us faith to believe your word that we've heard this morning? Would you grant us repentance that we might turn from our previous way of living, that we might change in light of what we've heard this morning? Make us into a giving people who don't merely give physical gifts for enjoyment, though that is a wonderful thing. But make us into a people who give ourselves for others, who sacrificially love others, because you have sacrificially loved us through your Son. We praise you this morning. You are worthy of all honor and glory and praise because of the wonderful gift you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We celebrate you. We thank you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us sing one more song of worship together, and then I'll have an announcement before we are dismissed. Worthy, you are King of kings, Lord of service. I wasn't able to catch everyone. If I don't catch you after the service, Merry Christmas.
I'm so excited to be here and part of this church family. We love all of you. We're grateful that the Lord has given us a chance to worship with you this morning, the birth of our King, and I hope that you have a fantastic day today. I wanted to let you know that my gift to you today is that we are out of here before 11 o'clock. That was very intentional. You can thank me later, but don't thank me too much, okay? Y'all have a fantastic Christmas. Enjoy it with your families. Let's continue to celebrate the birth of the King this morning. Thank you.